Welcome to the Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope and pray you'll encounter God as you listen to this message. Let's all stretch our hands out as Dan comes and shares the word this morning. Father, I thank you for Dan. We thank you for the man that you've created him. Thank you that he's a man who's after your heart. And I just pray that as he's uh, sought you for this word this week, that he will deliver it directly from his heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Some of you may have heard Chloe call me Danny then. If you do, I will start speaking in my Scouse accent, Chloe. So that's... That's what happened. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I grew up in Liverpool, so I, um, I can go fully scouse if you want me to, but um, I don't know if you're ready for that, for this preach today. Like, um, Anyway, right. So, um, so our title for today is Love the Lord Your God with All Your Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul. And then I'm adding in the next bit, which is really important, which is, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So how are you doing with that? I, I, I feel really, it's, it's been a really interesting journey preparing this preach because, you know, sometimes you'd read that and be like, this is a great one. This is a really easy one. But the Lord's been really talking to me. And actually, he led me to wake up at 5 a.m. this morning just to redo it all. And, and I just feel like the Father's got some stuff for us today. And, and I feel like he's... He's calling us. It's, it's not surprising to me what just happened in worship, but I feel like he's calling us to a, a new level of integrity of our hunger, with our faith, with our journey. And he gave me the statement that sometimes we take God's love for granted because his love is so accessible. Let me change that. His love is so available. But in order to walk in the journey of returning that love back to him, there's a requirement on us in how we walk it. And so I want to really just go into that today with you guys. But let's start with love. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, body, and heart, and soul. So love, it's all about love. And and I think like we could start, I'm not going to give you like a, a sermon into the Hebrew or the Greek words into love. There's loads of them out there. You can look them up. The problem we have is in our English language, the word love has become pretty vague. You know, I've heard people this week be like, I love this coffee. When we've been at something's brewing, serving. And that's great. I'm pretty sure they don't mean that they have romantic feelings towards the coffee. <laughs> or that they're willing to sacrifice for the coffee. <laughs> but I love this coffee. Or I love this table. When I'm buying things from my house, I just love it. I have to buy this. I love it. I want to marry it. No, you don't want to marry it. It would be weird if I used the same emotion and passion for the word love towards my wife as I do towards an inanimate object. And yet we use the same word. And I want to premise you this morning an idea that maybe we need to figure out this love thing a bit better. Maybe we need to add in some better dialogue. I really like this coffee. (laughs) But if I was to give Ashley the same level of love that I feel about something else that I may have strong emotions about, she'd be pretty disappointed in our marriage. She'd have a dynamic of deficit in her experience of the love I have towards her. And can you imagine if God then did that to us? His display of love to us was measured on how we understand and operate in love. 
his, his ability to love us is measured on what we define love to be. But there's a problem with that is that our definitions are kind of ignored by God sometimes because he, he decided what love meant and how he demonstrated his love to us. And so we need to get back to basics a little bit. We need to realize that love means something. And so you can have strong emotions about things, but the unfortunate reality is in our limited language is that we allow the same word to be used for things that really shouldn't be in the same even camp, if not category. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-5 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. This is the kind of love that we need to figure out. We need to be in a place. In fact, I heard it when we were in that time of hunger before. I heard very clearly, I had to step out and just have a minute with God. Because I heard the Lord say to me, what motivates you? Or what moves you? Is it God's judgment or is it man's judgment? And if we understand that God loves us, then we should also understand what it would look like if he didn't. And so we should be motivated towards him by the fact that his judgment is the thing that we want. When he looks at me, I want him to see goodness. I want him to see all those things in 1 Corinthians. That he want, I want him to see kindness and patience and not boastfulness and not enviousness. -ness. I think that's a word and not pride but honor and love how have you done this week with dishonor how have you done even today with dishonor it's all too easy sometimes for us to be like well you know i got busted the other day because i walked out i was in a rush and i walked past somebody who was who was begging for money and i ignored them just being honest i brought dishonor upon them and the Lord busted me. And so last night, in the freezing cold, I spent 15 minutes talking to a guy outside. Because it was inconvenient for me, but I really needed God to see that I'd listened. And I'd learned. And I'd heard. Because love looks like something. You know, me and Ashley, we were driving to something's brewing the other day. And we were, we were running late. And we had a boot full of milk that was needed for the coffee shop. Apparently milk is like the biggest commodity you have to figure out with coffee shops um and so we're driving loads of milk and there's a lady stood literally stood in the road in her 70s flagging down cars yelling help and nobody's stopping everybody is prioritizing their needs above hers and we stopped and we got her in the car and actually climbed into one of the children's seats in the back which was quite funny <laughs> trying to fit into a child's seat it's better her than me though but <laughs> And this lady was just like her, she's, she's a carer for her mother who's in her 90s, which is extraordinary to me that somebody who she should be being cared for. And she's panicking because her mother's nebulizer was turned off and she's struggling to breathe and there's all this stuff going on. And she's like, it's cold, I don't know what to do. It's just the other side of Pinner. Would you take me at least halfway? And we're driving and praying with her. She's like, I suffer from anxiety, all this stuff. And we're just able to bring the peace of Jesus in a moment because love looks like something. And I was really hoping to see her today, but she hasn't come yet. But that's all right. We'll see her this week. The beautiful, you know, the amazing thing about Something's Brewing, honestly, is the fact that we don't have to say some weird instructions on how to find us. When we were in the Ark in Wembley, it was wonderful. But it was harder to get into the Ark than it was to go and visit a prison. And I can, I can tell you that because I used to do chaplaincy in Felton Young Offenders. And I'm, honestly, it was easier for me to get into the Felton Young Offenders than it was for me to get into the Ark sometimes. And I was the leader. And so you'd be like, you'd meet someone and they'd be like, well, when can I next see you? And we're like, well, if you get this bus and then this bus to North Wembley and find a thing that looks like a house but isn't a house, that's where our offices are. You can come find me there. 
Or you can come next Sunday to this building that's impossible to get to. And that was it. Whereas now it's like, come to Something's Brewing. We're there. Come talk to us. We haven't closed on time once yet, I don't think, um, have we? Because people don't want to leave. And it's amazing. Honestly, we, we need more people. We need more bodies because it is getting busy. And we'd love your help. And if you don't think that you're equipped, and guess what? You're called. So it's all right. Because God's going to equip you. That word doesn't just work for ministry. Okay? We need to stop separating things for convenience. Be like, well, I'm, I'm called to the lost, and so I'm going to wait until God reveals. No. If you're called to the lost, that means everybody who's not a Christian. Everybody. And so let's assume that it's anybody who you don't see in church. Assume that they may or may not be lost. And so therefore, position yourself and God's going to equip you for it. It could be serving coffee, sweeping floors, cleaning up cups. It could be doing stuff in our office to help with administration so that our staff could do some coffee. Whatever it is, it could be moving chairs on a Sunday so that we can get up there for prayer quicker. Whatever it is, he's called you to be his hands and feet and do it for love. language is broken we need to win it back i was watching an interview the other day between drew barrymore and keanu reeves and and i I know right very random and hannah's either laughing because she's seen this or she's just laughing at the fact that i watched an interview between those two people and in it i'm gonna just read this to you so drew barrymore looks at keanu reeves and says i'm i'm not a love I'm, i'm i'm a lover not a fighter and he looks at her and says no that can't be and she's like how so it's like, because if you don't fight for your love, what kind of love do you have? And I was like, how is it that he's saying that? And that's better than me. It's like, what kind of love do you have if you're not willing to fight for it? If I have not love, I'm like a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. I'm just making a whole lot of noise that out of context is really horrible. Now, I'm a drummer. I play them really nicely. But still, if I just stood here bashing a cymbal, you'd hate it. Baggy especially would hate it. We've got to fight for our love. But this is the problem. It's like society kind of defines things. It says, are you a lover or a fighter? And what does it mean by that? Like a lover, I wrote down a few things. To be a lover is to, to be accepting, to be an ally, to be embracing or endorsing of somebody else's behavior despite your agreement or not, to be nice. I hate the word nice. Ugh. Don't ever call me nice. Nice is a bit bland. Ugh. Oh, it's a bit nice. Mm. Yeah, nice biscuits as well. They're rubbish. They stay, taste stale before you've even... I have no opinion about the product. <laughs> um, non-abrasive, neutral, safe. That's what, when you say, I'm a lover, not a fighter, that's what the world thinks you're saying. Is, I, I'm unopinionated. I am bleached. I am just bland. I am safe to, for you to be around because I will not be anything other than just a warm embrace to you and your belief structure. That's messed up. Because we're called to be lovers of Christ. And that doesn't look like being a wet fish with your opinion, just kind of flipping around all the place. You, it means you've got a plumb line. You've got the advocate. We'll get on to that in a second. Or you're a fighter. You're defensive or attacking. You're revolutionary, arrogant, self-serving. You're dangerous. And, and it feels like Christianity is being pulled in these two directions at the moment. If either like you're liberal, therefore you just embrace all things. And you kind of lose the fact that it's like, well, yeah, great. We're going to sing a nice song on a Sunday. And yay, Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you do. Because his love is all covering and it's like some sort of like mindfulness thing as opposed to belief in God. 
to the other extreme where it's like, unless you're standing on a soapbox and beating people up saying that they're sinners, you're not saved. And we've somehow allowed society to define us into these boxes of either you're a lover or you're a fighter. But I'll tell you right now, you're an advocate. It says the Holy Spirit who has been sent to dwell within you is the great advocate. What does that mean? It means that he is the voice of reason. He is the speaker of truth and integrity, of justice and mercy and hope. When you stand as an advocate, you're not saying, I agree with you. You're saying, let me come and help you. Let me come and lift you up. I was talking, um, we were, men's night, we were talking, and Mir Bakker, he said this beautifully, but it's like, if I see somebody being abused and beaten up for something they believe in that I don't agree in, I'm not happy with the fact that they're getting beaten up right now. And so, not even just for human rights, but as an advocate for someone being safe, I'm going to go and step in and protect them. But my, the moment I get it wrong is the moment I step from being protection to an ally and in, in agreement. My action doesn't show agreement with your choices. My action shows agreement with my God. And Jesus motivates me to love. But love isn't acceptance in the sense of agreement. Love is acceptance in the sense of you're welcome to experience this too. And we need to get it right. We need to get on this journey where we're in a dangerous time. I'm trying to be really careful of how I'm wording this. But we're in a dangerous time where things are getting washed away. Love is getting confused. Identity is getting confused. Truth is getting presented as false and falsehoods are getting presented as truths. It is a crazy time we're alive in and we need to understand that our job is to advocate for God. And in doing so, we're presenting love because it says that God so loved the world. His first emotion towards the world is love. Before all other things, before frustration, before judgment for anything, it's love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die so that the world could be saved and set free. So love the Lord your God. He's your God. Is he your God? Don't just love for the sake of love. Oh, love, we all love. This is great, love. We all stood together and held hands. Love, yay, love. (laughs) Look at me as I turn to my neighbor. Love, it's great. It's not, it's the source of love. God said, I am love. It's his name. And we need to take it back from some stuff. Because in the name of love, some really non-loving things are being done. In the name of love, some really ungodly things are being done. I hate it when I get misrepresented. If somebody misunderstands who I am or misrepresents who I am or even misquotes who I am or says to somebody about me something that's not true of who I am, I hate it. We all hate it. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And there's something about the core identity of who you are that has to be represented with truth. And when it's not, what happens? You're moved to emotion about it. God does not like to be misrepresented. He does not want his name to be misused. When I say I love you, I want to be saying it as the point of view of understanding that it's coming as a flow from my father. Because I love you, Ashley, my wife, romantically. God has love flowing through us that allows for romantic love. When I say I love you, Dwayne, my friend, God has love that flows through me that allows me to have love of friendship. When love flows through me, Mars, the guy who I sat outside in the freezing cold with last night, 
as allowed to be said because God's love is flowing through me for the broken and the lost. But it comes from him. Because if it's without him, then it's just a whole lot of noise and a whole lot of pointless action that doesn't make any sense. Like what difference am I going to make in my marriage if I do not understand the power of love that's flowing through me? Come on, Timmy. <laughs> love your God. Because he first loves the world. It says in Psalm 86, 15, that he is slow to anger and rich in love. That both means that his love, like if you talk about food being rich, it's full of flavor, it's thick, it's full of, it's full of all of its goodness, it's really condensed, it's like a rich chocolate sauce. Some of you are like, oh, I'm fasting, it's January. <laughs> Me and Natasha McArdle were talking about the fact that gravy makes or breaks a roast dinner the other day. If you get like a rubbish, flavorless, not rich gravy, then it ruins the whole meal. But if it's rich, oh my, oh my, it changes it. But he's rich in love. Thank you. You see the chaos of my notes then. Look, here you go. Anyone wants a copy of that? This is, this is a 5 a.m. brain explosion right there. Rich in love. What does that mean? It means he's got more than enough to give away. Because if you were referred to as rich, what would that mean? You'd be wealthy. You'd have abundance of income. You'd have more than enough for the lifestyle you have. And other people would look at you and go, wow, that's amazing. Not only have they achieved what they want to achieve, but they have abundance. God's richness of love means that he's got more than enough to give away. He is abundant in his love. And in it, he is slow to anger. This is where it gets interesting, though, is that I was, I was talking with God this week about this love dynamic of what's going on in the world. And, and, and I feel like there's this, this thing going on right now where the devil's trying to captivate people's attention. Because, you know, the devil's operational mandate is to get the world to love him. But you see, he's misunderstood it, like lots of us do, is that love is something to use as a weapon, to control, to manipulate. That if somebody's willing to sacrifice for something, and so the requirement of love in the devilish sense is sacrifice. I said I wouldn't say it, knee, didn't I, yesterday, but I think I'm going to go there. Like, we were, we were in the Nirvana yesterday, and we are talking about this whole ridiculous scandal going on with Balenciaga at the moment. Like, it's, it's disgusting. And just the spiritual thing that's going on there and the fact that on the tape it said Baal and all this stuff, like just, if you want to know about it, ask me or me later or just look it up. But there's this thing in the world where there is evil trying to come forward as an okay thing. But here's the difference. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His love is coming from a place of sacrifice because he's willing to a fight for you and die for you, for you to be set free and loved. The devil says to the world, sacrifice to love me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all these things. I'm going to make you feel nice. I'm going to give you the feels, but it's going to cost you something. And you know what? The most innocent and the most broken and the most vulnerable always suffer in an atmosphere of the devil trying to parade love around because they're the ones he preys on the most. When we live in a society that tries to worship idols, we're living in a place where love is being used as an excuse for abuse rather than an excuse for freedom and breakthrough. And so we need to understand something. John 15, 13, it says this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Are you a friend of God? Because greater love has never been demonstrated than the fact that Jesus 
came and died for his friends, his family, his loved ones, the whole of humanity. And for us to love God back, because here's the thing, God's love is huge. It's available. It's there. The tricky bit is when it comes to loving him back. Because for us to love him back, it requires our mind, our heart, our body, and our soul. It requires all of us to love him back and to love him in a way that is worthy of him. And I think sometimes this is the bit that people get stumbling over. They don't, they either do one of two things. Either why, if God's so loving, why would sin exist? Why would abuse happen? Why would all this stuff happen? Or it's, man, I want to experience the love of God, but I'm not willing to change who I am in order to get it. God's love is confusingly available to everybody. His blessings are unfathomably there. And yet, for us to truly worship him back costs us something. Because we need to look like him, behave like him, act like him, journey like him. With all of you, all. How are you doing that? I will love the Lord my God with all. And that's not just the obvious bits, but the internal thoughts, the internal reactions, the things people don't see, the things that you scroll past on social media and linger on, the things that happen in your lifestyle, the way you respond when you're not in a Christian atmosphere, the things you do when you're around people. With all. With all. So what is your focus? I want to talk about fear. So there's two words for fear in the Old Testament. I've really wrestled with this for a long time. Is that like we talk about the fear of the Lord. And, and kind of like in charismatic context particularly, we often kind of we say, yeah, we need the fear of the Lord. And then we kind of all move on a little bit because we're either not entirely sure what we mean by that or we're a little bit worried about that because we do ministry sessions into fear. And we say, like, no, you're no longer a slave to fear. And we love songs that sing those kind of things. And we're like, fear's not a good word. But listen, here's the thing, okay. So there's two words. There's yore and there's yiror. If we did that right. So yore is to frighten, be dreadful, to terrify, or be scared. And this is what I mean by when I'm talking about the devil will try to replicate himself as God in people's lives. But the way he sees the fear of the Lord operate, he thinks, that's great. I'm going to have people be fearful of me. And so if I can capture people's gaze, if I can get people fearful of me, then I've won the journey because I've become an idol in their life. And it's whether I'm manifesting through fear of finances, fear of relationship, fear of other people, fear of persecution, fear of not having my seat at church, fear of driving around the corner, fear of dogs, fear of animals, fear of whatever it is. It's why Halloween is such a time of fear and darkness because he operates in a place of if if I can have your fear, I've won your heart. But the thing is, he doesn't understand, is that fear come from a place of terror is not how God operates. Because you see, he operates in a place that causes frightened, dread, terrified, and scared. Whereas God operates in the place over here, which is Yiro, which is respect, reverence, piety, and revered. And we need to kind of, again, the word doesn't help because it's fear. But we need to redeem that. We need to come up better with it. Because in... Psalm 38, 18, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on whose hope is in his unfailing love. Do you fear him? 
Absolutely, yes. I revere him. I honor him. I hold him with the utmost respect. I am pious towards him. You know, Isla got described by my little brother the other day as pious. And initially got really offended by that because it's because she wanted to say grace and he's not yet walking with the Lord. And she wanted to say grace and like really close her eyes and was like, Jesus, you bless this food. And he was like, she's so pious. And actually, I realized the word pious means this religiously devoted now we've ruined the word religion on one level because we made religion about rules and all that kind of boring sit up sit down sing two hymns take this do that kind of stuff was actually religion in its purest form is to devotedly follow god i couldn't be prouder of isla if she's going to be labeled as pious oh my word could i not be proud of her because she is religiously devoted to god and if we are to walk in pious fear of the lord we're going to be devoted to him in all things it says the fear of the lord is the root of all wisdom there we go some of you are like jesus that's usually the answer <laughs> the fear of the lord is the root of all wisdom come on you want to be wise Start off by just fearing him. What does that look like? It means that I don't want my behavior, my choices, my reactions to do anything other than to bring reverence and love and devotion to his name. And so to walk in the fear of the Lord is to adapt who you are to enable all that you do to love him. And so when I react, does it bring awe and reverence and love and service onto his name or does it bring fear and terror into the hearts of those around me who am i representing in that moment who am i being in that moment isaiah forty one ten says so do not fear for i'm with you do not be dismayed for i am your god i will strengthen you and help you i'll uphold you with my righteous one hand right hand the word fear and dismayed there is that bad one do not be terrified of the devil do not be fearful of his judgments and his attacks. Do not do it for I am with you. The Lord strong and mighty is with you. So what motivates you? What moves you? Judgment of God or judgment of man? With all your heart, mind, body, and soul. So God's love is magnanimous. It's huge. It's great. It's mighty. It's available. But then Jesus says in Matthew that enter through the narrow gate. What's he talking about? Because it is not easy to simply... Nearly quoted quoted Lord of the Rings then. It's not easy to simply walk into Mordor. It is not easy to simply walk into the kingdom of God, not because God's made it hard, not because he's not already done it, not because he is not available to you, but because you need to lay aside all the things in your human nature that you've been told to do, act, behave like, that make it seem awkward. You've got to be not of the world. And the world's a really big place with lots of people with lots of opinion who are really nice and want you to be like them. And it's really difficult to turn around and be like, I don't want to be like you. I want to be like him. But then do it with love flowing through you. Because the problem we've done is in, in the church is we've done the first step, which is, I don't want to be like you. And then tell them, tell them all the reasons why. Because you're this, because you're that. Do you know, the only person who has the right to assign the identity is the creator, not the created. And so the moment we start living in judgment, we've said, I'm creator in this moment. Because I'm saying, you are this, you are that, you're wrong, you're da-da-da-da-da. That's not our job. I am not 
creator. I am created and so therefore I humbly submit myself to his identity over me and over others and I represent it. And so when I love him with all my heart, what does that look like? It looks like when I was saying before that I allow myself when I love, it comes from the flow of his heart, not my own. When I desire, I say, God, would you let my desires be your desires? When I pour out love, I'm pouring it from his place, not my place. Because he is rich in love, whereas we are limited in love in our humanity. And people don't need your limited love. They need the limitless love flowing through you. Your mind, love the Lord with all your mind, your thoughts, your choices, your reactions, your responses, the way you think about stuff, the way you mull over stuff, the way you even judge in the secret place. Because man, at least if you've controlled your tongue and people don't think you're judging, it's all right, you've started. But what about in here? Over your body. I'm starting to get a little bit indignant in my own journey, let alone other people's with this idea that we can come to church on a Sunday, raise our hands in the air and say, I worship you, God. You're perfect in all of your ways. And then live our lives like he's not. We're not the creator. He created you. He knew you before he stitched you together in your mother's womb. He planned and purposed you. Who am I to say or do anything with my body that is different to loving him? But I don't feel like that. That's okay. He does. Where we are in lack in our feelings, our perceptions. And this is the problem with the English language. Is we say things like, I I may feel very strongly about this, but we'll present it as a, this is categorically the fact in my life. I'm telling you what, your feelings and your facts are two very different things. And that doesn't mean that we all shut down emotions and feelings and just become these weird logical God robots. But we recognize even in our logic we are flawed because we don't exist from a place of heaven. And so we need to position ourselves there and our souls. And this is the thing that doesn't help. Your soul is wayward. Your soul needs to be controlled and brought in. You know, the most powerful weapon to the management of your soul is the Holy Spirit. If you allow him to guide your steps and lead you on your pathways, you will find your soul submitting to the reality of your supernatural nature. You know, the ancient Celts referred to the Holy Spirit as a wild goose. And I love that. Why? Because he couldn't be contained, planned, or purpose. He went all ways and all different ways and was surprisingly powerful. And, and it's awesome because you look at your soul and it's kind of a bit similar. Why? Because you were created in God's image. And so your created form has no accidentals in it. Your soul exists in this powerful way in your life because you were created in the image of God, but you are not God. And so when you allow Holy Spirit to come into your life, what is happening is the image is becoming the reality. Because God has come and dwelt in you, in the space of your soul, and I'll be careful not to go into a weird theological journey of that but he's come to dwell in you to redeem your soul so that all things soulish in your life can come into submission and lead the rest of your body and yourself in a way that is entirely righteous and good and just and so we have to let him come in preference and desire is different to love and truth and hope and mercy why does it say that the fruit of spirit involves self-control Oh, because one person who Paul was writing to is just really bad at being disciplined in their life. No, because as humans, we have an inherent 
ability to just follow the desire in a moment. We can be so flippant with things. You look at toddlers, it's mayhem. It's like yesterday, cheese was the best thing in the planet and anything with cheese on you would eat. Now today, it's the worst thing ever and you want to throw it across the room. That is an extreme example of someone being led by their soul. Trust me, I have two of them. I really know what I'm talking about. I've got very good at dodging flying food as well. We need to stop being led by our preferences and desires and allow God to flow through us in power. So if we love the Lord your God, my God, my own personal God, who I choose to worship in all things, through all things, with all of my heart, mind, body, and soul, and I'm walking that well, then I'm allowed to step onto the next bit, which is love my neighbor as I love myself. And we were praying on Monday in staff team, and Dwayne brought this revelation that just blew me away of the fact that actually, how often do we take responsibility for the atmosphere around us when it comes to people around us? For example, let's go immediate family. Your spouse is sick. What's your response? Is it, well, they're sick? Or is it, have I got anything in my life going on right now that's allowed an atmosphere that's led to their sickness. And that's, that's crazy radical thinking. But we need to, before we can even get to a place of leading somebody else, we need to take responsibility for our stuff. Because honestly, we all have atmospheres. We all have stuff. I know it because I've been around some of you when you've been having a bad day. And you can tell when you've walked into the room because your atmosphere came in front of you. But also when someone's having a good day, you know it, because their atmosphere comes in front of them as well. Atmospheres are powerful. And so what if we just stopped first before we even got to loving our neighbor so that we never, ever made them a project, never, ever made them a rebuke, never, ever made them something to be led or, or controlled or shown how good I am in comparison to them? And just first of all, really humbly went, God, is there anything in me that's causing this right now? Are my children, are my family, are the people around me changed because of who I am? Or are they hindered because of who I am? Sarah Nudds, who's, who's been part of this family for years and a wonderful friend of ours, she went on a journey like this where when she started interning with these guys, she started to look at her family unit and see some of the things going on there which weren't what she wanted God to do in her life. And I noticed a correlation to the fact that every time she got in a healing, Every time she worshipped God more, every time that she got herself right better with God, something would happen in her family. It was profound that they would start to see improvement in their world. They would, it went from being like everything going wrong to something, things starting to shift and change, to being family members going from being not even in the church to being in full-time ministry, to being people going from being in poverty to being in riches and wealth. I'm telling you, if you want to change the people around you, start with you. Start with your journey. Start with your difficulty. Why do we do schools of ministry? So that you can upgrade yourself from the lack of Jesus in your life to more of him so that you can see more of him in the world around you. We've, you look through church history and we've got 2,000 years of example of trying to tell people to do stuff before doing it ourselves. It's, you know, the fictional story of left behind as an idea of what it might look like in the end times. It includes a storyline of a pastor who doesn't get raptured because he's not himself believing the things he's preaching. His whole church gets raptured and he doesn't. How is it possible that that could even become an idea in someone's head to write that 
unless it's based on a factual journey of realizing that sometimes we're too good at saying, do this, do that, change this, redeem that, live this lifestyle and not doing it ourselves. Often I find people probably think I'm a bit of a stuck record in pastoral settings when I say to them, well, have you dealt with that? I had three conversations this week with different people where they're like, well, this person's doing this, or like, well, I'm just tired of this thing happening, all these kind of things. And it's like, well, have you gotten in the healing for that yourself? Have you taken responsibility for your part in that journey? Have you owned your stuff? Have you done the humble journey? Because I'm telling you, it's much easier to choose humility than be made humble. It's a nicer experience. I, from first-hand experience, I can tell you that. It's a nicer experience. So love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Romans 13.8 says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Psalm 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And we're going to get into ministry in a second, but I want to land on, on this. We need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul so that we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves because if we're not loving ourselves well, we can't love them well. But if before we even get to that, we understand that we need to be rooted and grounded in the fear of the Lord, which in all things is giving reverence to him, being devoted to him, desiring him, and not allowing our eye gaze to be taken from fear of him to fear of the world, fear of the devil, fear of the stuff so that we're not allowing idolatry in our lives, then we can stand in a place where if we live in the fear of the Lord, as it says here, the fear of the Lord is clean. It is pure. It is holy. And so when we live in the, in the fear of the Lord, we'll see that sometimes things start to shift in our lives. Yes, inner healing is really important. And it's a method that came out of a encounter with the presence of God that leads people into inner healing but when we stand in the fear of the Lord we may not find that we need it because God supernaturally does it because the fear of the Lord is clean and so do the method and do the fear of the Lord thing because you will find your life becoming more holy righteous and empowered so quickly if you live in fear of him not fear of that and I feel like there's in all this stuff ultimately the call today to all of you is where have you allowed yourself to be separated? Where have you allowed yourself to step out of the fear of the Lord and into the fear of the other stuff? Where have you allowed yourself to be pulled out of that oneness with God into a place of separateness in your heart and your mind and your body and your soul in different ways that you need to come back into that today? Matthew 19, Jesus says this, and he answered unto them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God has joined, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And in Genesis 1.27, which Jesus is referring to this passage in Genesis here, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Why am I reading this first? Because this is the deal. God operates in a dynamic of oneness. In your image of him, he created you in his likeness, in his image, and in doing so, bound you to him. 
And when we come into faith with him, we become bound and made one with him. We are set apart with him in holiness, in one flesh. And it says in that verse, that let not man separate what God has brought together. And so there's a dynamic here that each and every one of us, like what is demonstrated in marriage through God's will and plan for what marriage looks like, as man and woman coming together, as man and women, we come together towards God. Because he brings prophetic symbolism in his word to reveal what's happening in the spirit. And in the spirit, we're called to be one flesh with God in our likeness of him. Where you're not able to define any gap, any difference between us and him. Isn't that amazing? We're called to that. Man, humanity, life has tried to separate some of us from that. And it's time for us to get rid of that. So I wonder if Praveen, you're around to play maybe. And just worship team, you can do whatever you feel led to. I trust you guys. But like how we had in worship a call to the front, I want to call you if you want to. Now, if you need to stay in your seat for whatever reason, you can't come to the front, that's okay. Just do business with God right now. But there is a cry for holiness in this season. And holiness simply looks like this. Fear the Lord and love him with all your heart, mind, body, soul. And in that, we need to just get rid of the stuff that has tried to separate us from God. The moments where we've captured the gates of the enemy and we feared him where we've allowed idols to rise up where we've allowed things to come and murk, make murky waters in our belief and so we're going to just worship for a bit and we'll do some prayer and we'll do that kind of stuff but if you want to just come I just kneel at the front just come and be I just want to invite you just come now you'll see if you want to or you can stay where you are but I think for some of you you need to come come and be at the front come and make a standpoint of the fact that I am moving Because I'm moved by God to move out of where I'm at into more. And so when you're ready, come. And Father, I thank you that you created us to be made whole with you. You created us to be completely bound with you in spirit. That God, there's times where we have, we have made choices to react and act and be that is separate to your plan for our lives, where we've lived in fear of the world and all the other stuff there with that and not fear of God. But Father, today we thank you that as we fear you, we are made clean. When we fear you, we stand in love and hope. When we fear you, we stand in freedom. And the Bible says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we choose freedom. We choose to lay aside the things that we've allowed to be compromises in our hearts and our minds. We we lay aside the things that have been choices and actions we've made where we've, like I did the other day, walked past somebody who needed love because I was busy. God, we repent right now in Jesus' name for where we have chosen our agenda over your agenda, where we've chosen to define things based on our limited understanding and not just allowed you to flow through us. God, would you remark upon us what love is today? That we'd never get it confused with lust, desire, preference, any of that stuff, God, but we would love for purity of heart that would change the world around us. And as David prayed, God, would you shine a light in our hearts? 
and reveal to us any wicked way so that we can become clean and walk on the road everlasting. Not even just for our own sake, God, but for the sake of those around us. And there's a flip side to this where for some of you, you really do love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body and soul. And you do it really well. But there's those moments where fear gets in the way of the next step, which is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we just right now, we just lay down fear in Jesus' name. Fear that is based in terror. Fear that is based in dread. Fear that is based in being scared. Fear that is based in what might happen to us. Fear that is based in fear of judgment. We lay it all down in the mighty name of Jesus right now. Even just God, fear of what? God, as a church, would you make us available to walk in your will? And God, we just right now, we rebuke any fear of woke culture and what that could mean to standing in the truth of our belief. God, we just say no to it right now. Father, I thank you that you are our plumb line, the Holy Spirit, you are our advocate, that you speak truth through us and in us, God. And would you give us the convictions of you that we'd never be confused by the word of man over the word of God, that we'd never be confused by the law of man over the law of God, and that, Father, we would stand in truth, for truth, and with truth in this time, so that we could be a moral compass for our society, so that we could reveal the truth and the power of heaven in all things, God, that your love would be prevalent. And God, we just ask, would you bring a mighty, mighty wave of your power through us? In Jesus' mighty name. I feel like actually, if you're, if you're part of in this room, you've, you've walked in a, even if you work in an area where actually you're getting really confronted by, let's just call it the woke agenda. If that's really confronting to you at the moment where you're at as well, I just want you to come to the front and just, I'm going to ask the prayer ministry team to come as well and just to pray and lay hands on people because when you stand on the front line of those places and we all know what I'm meaning here there is okay if I reuse the word woke in a different way if you are living in an example or working in an area where political correctness and gender identification and identity stuff is challenging your belief then you need your arms lifting up because you're on a front line right now. And and so if that's you and you want your arms lifting up, then I just encourage you to come forward. What I'm going to do at this point actually is we're just going to say goodbye to the online because also I don't want you guys to be worried about any cameras being on at this point because you need to be able to walk in your own journey of that. And so thank you to all of you online today for joining us. God bless you and God keep you and God shine his face upon you. But we'll see you next week on our service. So... Goodbye, everybody online.